Come join the conversation, the show that you've been wanting. Keep it real with no filter. Weekly we share discussions. WWSD interviewing creative guests, talking the creative process and sharing all the influences from TV and film. Emmy nominated and winning. Yeah, they coming through. Actors and comedians too. Directors and writers, we're more than a few. Masters of their craft. Yes, tune in. You gotta see this the podcast that you need. WWSD. Welcome to the WWSD podcast. Weekly, we share discussions with interesting and creative people. I'm your host, Josh, and as always, I'm joined by my buddy and co-host, Seamus. How's it going, Seamus? Doing great, man. I'm excited for tonight. Yeah, me too. So tell us who we have on. Oh, tonight we have a very special guest. We are joined by the very funny stand-up comedian, Chanel Ali. Chanel, it's a pleasure having you on the podcast. We're super excited to talk to you. We're so glad it's finally worked out where our schedule's lined up. Yeah. Hey, guys. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Um, I love abbreviated podcast names. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's really cute on you guys. Oh, thank you. All right. Top 10. That's, what's your top 10 abbreviated podcast names? <laughs> I don't remember the other ones even. <laughs> you, should, you should remember your top top one, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you, you just got back from uh, from Israel. How, how, was, how was your trip? Amazing. I think I want to become a citizen there, honestly. Oh, really? really? Uh, yeah, that that dome is convincing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's incredible. Obviously, lots of politics around it. But when I, you know, I hiked a lot of it, which is pretty customary there. It's part of their education. They learn about the land. And it was, um, yeah, an incredible opportunity. Plenty of crying on a mountaintop sorting. Yeah, just really like it's a very powerful place. And Tel Aviv is like a very clean Miami and it just feels (laughs) like a place that, you know, we could never have here. So, (laughs) yeah, it was incredible. I I would love to go back. Uh, Even just flying like the Israel airline was very unique experience. They gave me two meals and I was in like regular class. (laughs) So, uh, you know, I just didn't sleep. I was just so excited for each one. But yeah, incredible. Incredible experience. Uh, how long were you there for? I was there for about eight days. Okay. Did you perform at all while you were there? I didn't, but I actually reached out to some Israeli comedians who are famous, and uh, they all wrote me back. It was incredible on Instagram. I just, <laughs> I, I do this thing sometimes where I'm just like, let's see what happens if I just ask, and maybe they'll say no or block me. But uh, <laughs> they all responded, and one got me a gig in Tel Aviv, but I would have had to extend my trip, and I was already booked. So I was like, oh, I can't stay that long. But it made me think that I could definitely go back and do it sometime oh, cool. soon. Well, that's yeah, cool. it's awesome. Did you feel like you got to see enough of it in eight days? I mean, I, I know there's a lot in that area. I really got a good run of it. I stayed in a kibbutz. I, oh. I ate like cucumbers on a farm. I went to a Holocaust survivor's home and she was actually from Brooklyn. She actually was oh, wow. from okay. this area of Brooklyn that I live in now. She spent most of her life here. But now she has an incredible apartment in Israel. <laughs> She's doing <laughs> really well. And yeah, so I just did a lot. I really shoved in a lot and got a very good overview of, you know, what's going on over there. And it's an incredible place. Gotcha. Yeah, because you went, you were over there right right around the Ukraine uh, dealio with Russia, right? So I'm sure that was been pretty crazy. We were definitely on high alert the last few days that it seemed like, you know, a conflict was really brewing. But the day that we flew in, I would say the day after is when they really started having a problem, you know? All right. 
So how'd you get started in comedy? Oh man, how did I get started? Like when was the first time I did it or like? I'm assuming you went up for an open mic was the first time. I mean, it seems of like everyone's course, yeah. first time. Yeah. First time was at a open mic, but it was like a multi-genre open mic at the University of Arts in Philadelphia. I'm from Philly originally. Me too. Oh, nice. They had like rappers and poets and, you know, singers and spoken word artists. They had lots of different types of people performing. And I had paid $20 to get in just to watch my friend, which is a lot to pay to watch an open mic. Some of these people could suck, you know. (laughs) And the host got on about halfway through and she said uh, they had an empty slot. And if somebody didn't fill it, they were going to be waiting for an act because somebody was running late and they had to set up something else. It was a lot of things. And that really pissed me off because I had spent $20 and I was like, I'm not going to just sit here. And so I told my friend, uh, sign me up, you know, put my name down on that spot. And he was like, what are you going to say? And I was like, I don't know, but you know, do it. And so he did it because he's a nut. I don't know why he would do that, but uh, I got up there and at the time I worked for TSA at the airport. So I had a lot of stories about just crazy shit that people had in their bags or that they had said to me. And I just like talked about work and people laughed so much. They had such a good time. Afterwards, they asked me like where I perform. And I was like, ha, that's funny. <laughs> but yeah, it was something I always knew about myself when I was a little girl. I feel like when I was about seven, I was like, man, I think I'm a comedian. It's crazy. I don't think I should tell anybody, but. I think that's what's going on inside. But then, yeah, when I tried it at that one open mic, it felt like I was like, yeah, no, that's absolutely it. That's confirmation. I had been needing to answer that question by just trying it. And once I tried it, the question was, yes. When you were uh, when you were a girl, like how, how did you learn what a comedian was? Like, what was a comedian to you at that time? Honestly, a comedian at that time was someone I would identify as a very silly adult. It's like a silly guy, you know, but I was really impacted by Steve Martin, especially his early comedy films. And then watching some of his early stand-up, I feel like that impacted me a lot. I watched a lot of Def Jam, a lot of Martin Lawrence, specifically Martin Lawrence hosting Def Jam really shaped my brain about what characteristics make up a comedian. Like a comedian has to have uh, some confidence and maybe has to be persuasive and theatrical has to have some appeal in some way, you know, all these things that I just felt like I really identified with. And I was like, I'm just one of those people. You had consumed all of this by the time you were seven. Oh like, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> I had watched a lot. Yeah. I had listened to a lot of like stand up comedy albums. I had ingested a lot of media, I would say. <laughs> so after that open mic with your friend, how long was it before you went on stage again? Not long. I would say in the next few weeks, I pretended like I was doing it. Yeah. (laughs) But for the first year after that, I wouldn't count that year. I wouldn't because I was on stage here and there, really wasn't writing, wasn't committing to even becoming an artist or understanding how the process works. You know, just scared, I would say. Just really frightened. you kind of stumbled across an opportunity to go on stage. So so I imagine you, did you not think that was a possibility for you to actually be a comedian at that point? Um, I did think it was a possibility, but I thought that like, I think I thought the key would be getting a really good tape. Like I would have to just do it one more time and it would be perfect and I could get it on and then I'll just show it to Ellen or something. And, And then, but that's because I just really didn't know. I just didn't know enough about the industry and how it works and how there is a ladder that you have to climb and work that you have to do. Um, but then when I started going to the open mics and meeting other comedians around Philly, like the actual comedy open mics, 
I started to get a sense of what the process is like to grow as an artist. And then I became very committed to the work and just like grinded it out, just at open mics, at open mics. I told jokes on the train so I could break myself of stage fright so that I would be better at the open mics. I only had to do that a couple of times before I was like dead inside. But yeah, I just really went about that a very artistic, but also aggressive <laughs> way of trying to become, trying to figure out how do you do this? How do you make this art? What, uh, what, what made you uh, come up with doing the comedy on the uh, subway? It really kind of just came down to like me being competitive and understanding that I was not doing as well as I could in the open mics because I was scared. Like I would physically shake sometimes. I would, I would try to do an act out where I call someone on the phone and my hand would shake so much that it would be funny in a different way. <laughs> and I just knew that I was like too scared to like do it the way I, I needed to do it. So in my mind, I thought, what if I scare myself so badly that this isn't scary anymore? Well, I'm really afraid on the Philadelphia subway. That scares the shit out of me. Like, remember yesterday? And so then I was like, what if I just stood up in the middle of that and started telling jokes? Really scary. So I don't know. I just kind of like decided that it would probably work. And it immediately did. Like <laughs> 30 seconds in, I was like, I'm so much stronger. I've cut the fat. No long openings. You know, we're getting right to the jokes. And I always had a couple of friends who would come with me, some very strong friends. They would be like placed in the subway car and they would just, you know, pretend that they didn't know me and just make sure that nobody got really angry because, you know, I was joking in people's space regardless if they wanted it or not. I was like, I would get up and I would say, hey, you guys like comedy? Well, here's some because I brought it. Here we go. I hope you like it. <laughs> did you get any laughs? I did get some laughs. And when you get a laugh like that, you know that joke is good. Like it helped me decide these jokes are no good. <laughs> These jokes have potential, you know? <laughs> and when you were writing at that time, like what was like kind of like your structure? Like, were you going for like, like more punchy stuff or were you trying to tell stories? I think I still was writing in the same way I do, which is a lot of stories and a lot of misdirection. Like I like to fool people. I used to have this opener. I remember years ago, I would say, give it up for me. I just moved out of my grandmother's basement and people would like clap. And I would say, yes, now I'm on my aunt's couch. And, you know, it was like a stupid little, like, just get the show started bit. But I used to just do a lot of like quick things like that, you know, introducing what was happening in my life and then having some misdirection that would catch them off guard. But yeah, I would say that's, I, I was doing what I do now. I was just doing it on a much smaller scale. You started in Philly. Like how, how, uh, how many years in were you in before you moved to Brooklyn? Uh, I moved to Brooklyn about two and a half years in. I felt okay. like there was a, a bit of a ceiling. I had done all of the independent shows. I had done, we only had one comedy club. I had done it a bunch of, a bunch of times. And Kevin Hart started in Philly. He did comedy in Philly for years and years before he got some recognition. I just felt like New York stages were going to shape me faster and maybe give me some opportunities along the way for TV. And I was right. <laughs> <laughs> What were some of the bigger differences between New York and Philly when you first started in New York? Well, New York City is just the comedy capital of the whole world. There's mm -hmm. just no other city that has as much comedy things happening. Like, yes, it has the most clubs, but it also has the most really nice bars that just have a stage in the back room. It has the most lounges that have a nice stage in the back room, you know, and the most jazz clubs that have comedy sometimes. Like, it's just there's shows happening every single night and I think comedy is a minutes game. So to me, the only way to skip the line, which is the long line of 
trying to decide who you are as a comedian and what you're talking about is to get as many minutes as possible. So in New York City, I could get four shows a night, five mics a night sometimes. Mm -hmm. And that would accumulate to, let's say, on a Tuesday night, I did 45 minutes of comedy. That's incredible as a young comic to come home every day and say, I almost did an hour every day. So when I moved to New York City, I immediately just got better because of just minutes, just accumulating hard work and being on stage and not knowing what I was going to say next and figuring it out in that moment. Did you find that um, that the material that you had in Philly didn't work when you got to New York? Yeah, most of it. I had set a limit for myself to move. And I was like, when you feel like you have a solid 25, you can move to New York. Got to 21. And I was like, let's go. And I got to New York and then I realized, oh, my 21 is actually six. And that's a stretch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. You know, because you tell a lot of regional jokes, you talk about things that are familiar to you, what, 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 you know, what has been happening in your life at home. And this brand new crowd doesn't always relate to that. Also, New York City is the comedy capital of the world. It has the best stand up comedians, the best artists in general. A guy will come to your show and he just saw a, a Basquiat. So you better be creative. They're smart people. They're well read. So it forces you to like, you know, dig deep and, and start talking about something that's beyond just hey, did you hear about this? Have you read this? You know, you have to really expose yourself to New York City crowds to get them to move. And when you were first starting out, I know like New York, there you don't really get a full five minute set a lot of those open mics. No. Was that hard to like adjust to like a much shorter time or did you kind of have no problem with that? Felt so ridiculous. Used to piss me off so much. Because in Philadelphia, every mic was five minutes at least. <laughs> and none of them you had to pay for. It was all free. So to me, it was like some of these open mics in New York City, they would have a one drink minimum and the, the cheapest drink would be a $14 wine. Jeez. And now I can't now I can only tip one dollar. And now I'm broke because I'm a struggling New York City comedian. Like I had a job all day just to be able to afford to come to this open mic. So, yeah, th those were terrible. And when you only have a couple minutes and it's just a basement of other comedians, they're barely listening to you. They're only thinking about what they're going to say or what they already said or how they're going to get home, they're barely listening to you. So it, it takes a lot to cut through that, especially being a woman, especially being a black woman. I mean, like I'm hanging around in basements with white guys all the time, trying to get them to listen to me. It's a lot of work. <laughs> it's a lot of work. <laughs> and from like your, your actual set itself, like how, how did it develop over those years, like doing those type of those quick sets? I came back to Philly a good amount. So I would come back and do longer sets. Okay. I actually think that a lot of comedians, especially earlier in their career, they undervalue going on the road because going on the road usually means an opportunity for longer sets. Even if you're headlining as like a nobody, you probably can convince somebody to let you do 30 minutes, 40 minutes. And so I went on the road a lot. I did a lot of festivals. I was always applying to festivals, especially if they were really going to give you some good stage time in a place that was probably going to sell out anyway. Yeah, I just accumulated minutes in every way. I, I imagine, I imagine when you're like in New York, you know, there's, there's there's so many like talented comics. Like, like how do you how do you kind of approach networking with those kinds of people? The most important thing is that you have to be cool. And the problem with telling other comedians, "Hey, really cool person, I'm going to come in here. You got to be cool," is that they immediately don't remember how to be cool. And <laughs> it's just one of those things that you sometimes can't even explain. You sometimes can't even teach. But that's the most important thing. I'd say you have to be cool. You can never fangirl. I really almost never fangirl. I don't really even feel it, honestly. I'm always like, oh, hi, hello. But yeah, I, I'm a member of the Friars Club. I'm actually a friar. One of the, I think, you know, in terms of Black women friars, it's like me and Whoopi Goldberg. 
So we're doing well. <laughs> and so I wrote for an award show that they had. And I'm like writing a speech for Robert De Niro. I wrote a speech for Jordan Sparks. And then I had to meet with her and coach her on these funny jokes that I wrote and tell her how to say it. And it's just like conceptually saying it sounds crazy to be like, yeah, I was going to walk up to Robert De Niro and hand him some words that I wrote and hope that he reads them and laughs. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it sounds crazy. But then when you like just break it down into like motions and things I have to do and, you know, you really believe in yourself, then you realize like they're doing their job and I'm doing my job and they're here to read these words. And I'm getting paid to write them because I'm good with the words. I'm good with the funnies. So yeah, I try to take it in stride. I handle my liquor well. I never get too lit at a party. I always keep a temperature of who's in the room. I've never been doing a set and I got off stage and somebody was like, yo, did you see that Buster Rhymes was in here? I was like, I'm always like, yeah, of course I saw him. I saw him outside earlier. Did you guys, you didn't see him outside earlier? He was smoking a cigarette viciously. Y'all didn't see that? It's like, you know, I always know who's there and I'm going to decide what I'm going to do jokes wise based on who's in the room. So like even bookers, if a booker is in the room and I, you know, they produce one of the hottest shows in New York City, I'm going to tell jokes that I know appeal to them as a person or as an entity and how they run their show. I'm like, I'm going to give them the jokes that I know that they want me to do on their show based on the vibe that they give off and what I've seen. You always have this on your mind. You're always kind of strategizing and like hustler all day. Yeah, hustler just hustling. All day. When I first moved to New York, I got a bunch of sticky notes and I put them on my floor every day to signify what open mics were happening. And then as I went to them and learned, I came back and I would rip them off the floor. Like, don't ever go to this one again. Like this one is only good if so-and-so is hosting. And I just created a path of mics that I felt like were serving me the best and then didn't feel as overwhelmed with, oh, there's just so many. It's like some of these are shit and you don't need to waste your time. Let's trim some of this fat because I care a lot about like logically doing things and getting things done well. So yes, I'm very funny. I'm very talented, but I'm also smart. And at what point in your career did you realize you want to do like more of the acting, the writing, all that stuff and kind of branch away from like uh, stand up comedy? I think I always wanted to. I was always interested in it. But for a long time, stand-up comedy was such a like big behemoth in my life. It was just so much that I, there was no time. Like I could not have taken an acting class, which I still haven't. And I act a couple times a week now. I've never taken a class. But I couldn't have done it when I was really so focused on comedy. I couldn't have done anything else other than be focused on writing jokes and working on my jokes. So once I got management and just started to land more auditions. And really when I started making enough money not to have a day job anymore, then I started to devote my days to trying to become a better actress, trying to practice. When I first signed with management, that was one of the first things I said was, I want to audition tomorrow for something. And I remember my team being like, well, I don't know if we have like something right now. And I was like, whatever it is, like send it, send me out for it so that I can like start failing because just throw me in there and I'll start to figure it out as we go along because I just really trusted that I could do it and that I would hustle it. Is that your normal approach for a lot of things? Just kind of getting thrown into it? Is that how you thrive and strive? Absolutely. Or like, I'm very funny. I'm very talented, very smart. Also a lot of courage, very brave. That's going back to when I was a little girl, recognizing those things in myself and being like, oh, that's what it takes to be a comedian. Like you have to be able to stand up and be brave enough to say, hey, I don't understand this. How do you do this? How does this work or whatever? You got to like advocate for yourself. But yeah, I'm also very competitive. I just always feel like who's doing what? I could do it better. Show me. 
to show me how to do it. And I'll fuck it up a couple of times, but then I'll do it better than you ever saw. <laughs> You're kind of seeking out the most fruitful challenges. Absolutely. I, I feel I fail big if I'm going to fail there. You know, like I'm in a fancy meeting and they're like, you know how to write this very specific type of script. Right. And I'm like, sure do do it all the time. <laughs> and I just Google it furiously, watch a couple of videos, you know, probably do it wrong. And then they're like, oh, Chanel's like a vision. She's like a multi-hyphenate <laughs> in this other way. You know, I. So you got the you got the multi-hyphenate badge. Yes. You just convince somebody. No, I got it. I got it. And then you just try and rest. <laughs> and what did you do to like to get your manager? Like, were you trying to like get into like acting more and you just needed a manager or? Um, no, I definitely wanted a manager. I felt like I was doing all these comedy shows specifically with lineups full of comedians who had managers. And that was like helping them with JFL. It was helping them with auditions. They were obviously getting more opportunities than me. And I was so frustrated. I would say probably for like a year where I was like, why don't I have a manager? You know, I'm not going to go beg anybody to manage me. But then I just did a show in Brooklyn and the producer of that show afterwards asked me, said, hey, there was a manager in the audience, um, which is what a lot of people don't realize. But that's what happens in New York City comedy, especially in other cities. Like if somebody's out here scouting, they're not at the comedy clubs watching new talent. Like whoever's at the club and is getting booked at the club is probably significantly along in their career already. Most likely already has a manager if they're consistently at this club. But these hot independent shows where an unknown comedian goes up and you can see them do a set that's already ready for TV, like a manager sitting in that audience waiting to find that person. So that's exactly what my manager did because she's very smart. Yeah, she just was there and she saw me, she emailed me. And a lot of my biggest opportunities when I first started in comedy came that exact way. I did a live show, someone was in the audience, they emailed me the next day, you mentioned that you like to fail big. Like, do you have a particular failure that, that you learned a lot from? Kind of like maybe a cornerstone failure for you? I made the mistake of thinking that I could potentially push off becoming a comedian. And I thought I could become a lawyer. I was like, that's a smarter investment of my 20s <laughs> than <laughs> probably chasing this comedy dream. Like, you could do this Geraldo thing where you just like become a lawyer. Like, just do it that way, you know? And so then, like, halfway through law school, I was like, well, this is a lie. Look at me lying because <laughs> I was very good at law school. Obviously, I was very good at the Socratic method and like getting up in front of people and arguing. I was so good at it, but I just hated it and I was not barely getting on stage. So, um, yeah, that was a big failure. Also, also very costly. But in retrospect, I did learn a bit about entertainment business and it sharpened my mind. I read a ton because it's required. Um, so, yeah, that was a big failure, like just not being able to finish law school or recognizing halfway through that I was <laughs> lying. Ugh. But also, I know people who are still lying today. So maybe <laughs> maybe I didn't fail. <laughs> <laughs> and at what point did you want to record your comedy album? We both listened to it. It was hysterical. Thank you so much. That's my baby. I'm so proud of it. Credit to my manager because I was not, in my mind, I didn't think I was ready for an album. I was like, yeah, sometimes I do an hour, but like, you know, I'm talking to this lady in the crowd, calling her my aunt for like five minutes, you know? <laughs> it just didn't feel like I had it. But yeah, my manager just kind of sat me down one day and was just like, very matter of fact, like, I think we should set a date. And I think you should just like put this hour down. And I was like, yeah, what's the date? And she was like, let's how about like December 5th. And I was like, that's only a couple months from now. I don't know. It's I honestly remember thinking I'm going to fail, going to fail at this, but I'm going to give it a really good try. And then she'll like learn her lesson. So <laughs> I'll teach her <laughs> yeah, believing in me. <laughs> crazy lady. You don't know anything. 
Um, so yeah, we set the date and then she had to schedule me on this like headlining tour to get a bunch of hours in, which means empty comedy clubs. Like people don't know me like that, especially years ago. They did not know they were not buying tickets randomly to just come out. I had like one credit really. So I was doing an hour to like seven people, 12 people, just really hard shows. But you know, you have to just grow out of the concrete in that way. When it came around time, I was very ready. And the album ended up being 57 minutes and 57 seconds. Pretty good for me. Pretty close. I'll take it. You know, and I'm really proud of it. I'm really proud of it. It came together lovely. And I was overthinking it so much. Like my first album, it's got to be like a statement. It's got to like, you know, hang it up in museums. She redefined comedy. It has to be. And that's a lot of pressure to put on yourself, especially for your first album. And so then one day I had an epiphany and I was like, it should just be about who you are and where you are. It should just be like an introduction to who Chanel is. And you don't need to put so much pressure on yourself to make these grand statements. Just like have fun and, you know, introduce your life. How did you like come up with like the structure of the, that show? Was it just kind of like a play on your your normal sets or did you actually like curate it to, to be part of that album? Uh, well, we did two shows, an early show and a late show. And the plan was that I would do over an hour in both shows and... The first show, I would try to be clean. And the second show, I could let it rip. I could riff if I want, talk to the crowd if I want, cuss a lot. I ended up cussing on both. And that probably ended up hurting me because most of the tracks are not clean. If they're not clean, there's a lot of stations that just won't play it. But I'll get that in the next round. You know, we got to be honest (laughs) and be truthful. But yeah, so what ended up happening is that the first set was so solid that I felt like I had it. I was like, oh, I don't think I would even... I care about the next one. So then I got a little drunk and we did the late set. And some of that was unusable because <laughs> <laughs> there was some slurring and, you know, I, it's, it was a celebration of this taping going well. But then I got to listen to both and I was able to give the audio engineer just like some timestamps to pick which tracks I wanted, when I wanted them to start, when I wanted them to end, what they were going to be called. And I was able to just take clips from both recordings, mostly the first recording, and put together an hour. You said another special that you're working on, right? Well, I have an hour special coming out uh, March 11th on Epics. It's already recorded, but it's interesting because they also interview me. So it's going to be like an hour of my material, like me doing a live show in LA, and then spliced in interview segments about how I grew up, how I started comedy, like who I am, and a real introduction, I would say. Your uh, your album came out in 2020, right? Yeah. So so it took you about a year to get another hour together? Ha <laughs> ha, child, no. I sold the same hour twice. Oh, <laughs> oh, it's the same hour. Okay. Yeah. I was like, damn, that was, that was pretty impressive. You got a whole other hour together. It's pretty close. And what I will say is that some of the jokes that I did on my album were pretty fresh. Like there were some of those were jokes that I had most like recently written. And so, so now those jokes two years later, they're way better. They're just they're all fleshed out. Yeah. Yeah. They're chiseled. They, a lot of those were early versions of them. So they're so much better now, longer now. So it's not the same exact hour, but it's pretty close. And I really lucked out contractually that I got this offer at this point so that I could sell the same thing twice because yeah, I'm not made of hours. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I have, I've written a lot since then. I would say I probably have written like another 30 since my putting together that first original hour. After this special, are you retire a lot of those jokes or are they kind of just be shelved for a while or they're, they're pretty much already shelved. Okay. I'm not really doing 
much of the old stuff now. Obviously, there was a time when I was getting ready for this taping and I had to do them because they needed to be the best that they could be so that I could put them on tape and exist forever. But now I'm I'm really just experimenting and just doing a lot of new stuff. When you're uh, when you're trying out something new, how how long do you stick with something that might be a little bit difficult until you know that that's like like this is a good joke or this is something I should abandon? Uh, I would love to say, oh yeah, I let it go quickly, but I don't. In joking and and in life, I will stay with a bad thing for a while. And <laughs> except we weren't talking about your dating life. <laughs> yeah, I will do it. And just be like, well, let's try again. But no, I, I, I a few times and then I started to get frustrated with myself because, as I said earlier, I really care about minutes. So if I started to feel like I'm wasting time on something that people don't like. But like, interesting enough, like I have a joke about cocaine, about doing cocaine when I was really killing it as a young comedian in New York City because people were offering it to me at fancy parties. And like now I don't do it anymore. So to me, it felt like you guys should let me talk about cocaine because I'm talking about it in the past. And there was a time when I tried to like casually talk about cocaine and people crowds were like, no, we will not get behind this young black woman admitting this white collar crime. We're not going to do it. We don't like this premise. And I would be like, but wait, listen. And they would just be like, no, now I can do those jokes all day. They think it's hilarious. But every once in a while, <laughs> I'll try a new joke and people don't really like it. And I'll, I'll, I'll need to give it at least three to four more real solid tries before I'll start to accept that maybe I'm wasting my time. But, you know, sometimes you just need to like put it back in the oven, let it cook Mm -hmm. a little more, attack it from a different, you're not as frustrated anymore. And then, you know, see what happens. So even like you said, like the cocaine jokes, like you're able to bring it back around now and now they're, they're relevant and funny. Yeah. Is is that because you've changed or is that because the crowds are, are different now? I think it's a combination of both. I think during the pandemic, especially people had to acknowledge like, yeah, I, I was experimenting. So (laughs) I think they're being a little more understanding. And also I'm coming, I'm definitely speaking much more now from a perspective of the past. And I just felt like when I was originally talking about it, people didn't like it because they thought I was currently doing it. And they were like, we don't want to support this. Thought you just like did a bump in the bathroom and then came on stage. They're like, it's not fun. We don't like it. You know, you should make a meeting. (laughs) (laughs) And you did say something during your first special, you're trying to keep it clean. Uh, Is your newest special, is that clean or is it still fucks and and all that and it's real dirty it's i mean it's not real dirty i'm not a very dirty comedian i don't cuss that much here and there i might talk about something that's a little graphic but i'm I'm not even i don't even really talk about sex you know Mm -hmm. i'm mostly trying to push people intellectually (laughs) or just being very silly it's on a sliding scale where my jokes land but yeah no it's there's plenty of cussing in it I didn't hold back. Epics told me I could say whatever. Yeah. And the interview I think that we did is, I think it's going to be different, a different piece of TV that we haven't seen in a while. All the comedians had pretty interesting upbringings. So, you know, we're, we're talking about some hard things and spicing it in with some really funny things. And I imagine if childhood me saw a special like my special, that it would have made her feel so much more confident about what life was going to be like and what her possibilities were. And that gives me a lot of hope. Uh, even speaking like, like childhood, I know you said you grew up like loving comedy. When you were seven years old, did you ever think you would be at this point in your in your life? Kind of did. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't brave enough to say it out loud, but deep down in my head, I thought I can't see myself being anything else. Not really. I could see myself pretending to be a lawyer or pretending to be maybe a congresswoman, like maybe I would have been really successful at something, but I always remember thinking it'll be a lie though. 
(laughs) (laughs) Do you ever miss like law school and stuff like that? Or hell no. (laughs) Hell no. Cool that you got you found that alignment in your life. Hell yeah, it is. And it feels good to feel like you know who you are, especially and like what your purpose is in the world. And it's just like so light and fluffy. Like I just tell jokes. And and acting as well. I mean, uh, you said you've been doing a lot more acting now. Are you getting to a point where you're doing more acting than comedy? And or is comedy still like number one? I feel like Monday through Friday before 5 p.m. My job is to be an actress. (laughs) (laughs) Which is a crazy thing to say. But yeah, like I I audition mostly remotely now during the pandemic, sometimes in person. And so, yeah, that's my job is like making sure my hair is ready for an audition. My makeup is done for an audition. Make sure my, my ring light is ready. Make sure I have my lines ready. That's my job during the day, mostly. And then at night, I do comedy. Is there anything about the industry you'd like to see change? Oh, yeah. So many things. God. <laughs> Where do we start? But no, I think obviously in any industry, it's common to give opportunities to people that like look like you or make you feel comfortable. And unfortunately, in comedy, most of the comedy clubs are owned by like a guy named Joe or Steve. And the problem with that is that guy always wants to hear what Lil Bob got to say. He always wants to put him on. And we have a lot of shows where the lineups are similar. They look alike and the perspectives are alike and the jokes are the same. You know, I'd love to see. I always think there's more diversity, especially in February. A lot of lineups that I saw for comedy clubs across the nation were not black enough. I was like, this is just you're sprinkling it in and we need way more. I need gravy like coverage. (laughs) that we can push comedy forward you know i would say in the last few years as a lady in comedy men have started to be more open to criticism about sexual assault and also just listening when female comedians admit that they're uncomfortable around someone you know i have noticed that there's more space to say hey this guy didn't do anything to me It's not a crazy whatever, but I get the vibe that I don't like and it makes me uncomfortable and I'd rather not be around it. So like, let's schedule a space where this person can be in this industry and I don't have to be in that room with them that night. And that's been dope to see, but we still need more. Also, comedians should just fight more. We should just be punching (laughs) each other and, you know, stop, (laughs) stop writing a blog. You know, let's just go outside and get it done. Let's see what we got. Everybody show your savings account. Let's see what happens. (laughs) What are are we talking about? But yeah, I've been seeing a lot of, uh, I've been seeing a lot of advancements in entertainment, but we could always do better. So in New York though, have you noticed like the scenes like very catty, like, like clicky and stuff like that? It's it's lucky. It's lucky that I'm well liked, you know, (laughs) (laughs) like me. Some people are afraid of me. But yeah, I've heard crazy stories. I had a female comedian friend once tell me that she was like hooking up with another male comic and that afterwards during pillow talk, he was like talking shit about me. And I was like, wow, why am I coming up in your bedroom? Like, I don't <laughs> Comedy's crazy, man. You know, you know, <laughs> like, why does she get booked so much? And I got to I got to fuck the feel like, why? Why can't I, you know, it really bothers them. So, yeah, but. I think that just goes along with like being in an entertainment industry and people are very insecure. A lot of bookers don't have talent and (laughs) they're out here, you know, trying to pretend like they're regular people. So (laughs) I try to take it in stride and not play a part in it, you know, but also I'm, I'll speak up for myself at the drop of high. I've asked the comedian to step outside before and (laughs) I'll do it again if I need to. (laughs) 
and do you notice like the same thing in like the acting industry? Is it similar? Or is it different than like the comedy? It's way worse, way more catty. Oh yeah, way more ugly. Actors will have COVID and go pay somebody for a fake negative COVID test oh, like wow. a commercial real quick, and it's like, yo, bro, this commercial is not even SAG. And you're out here who are ruthless to try to score an acting role. And also, sometimes actors, like a person who is just like a born and bred actor, they're not super fun to be around. (laughs) They are creatively a drag. and (laughs) Miserable fucks. (laughs) It's it's hard to be a comedian slash actress in those spaces. And I'm a very authentic person. I demand that from people who are around me. So when you're around someone that's like, oh, I'm only a person if I have a script. <laughs> it's maddening. It's maddening. And do, do they treat you differently because they know you do comedy and you're a comedian? Or do they treat you as an actress? They definitely treat me as a comedian slash actress. Or they're even intimidated by my improv as an actress. Like, they're very intimidated. I'll sometimes have to, like, if I'm sharing a scene with someone and that person is just an actress and they know that they know that I'm a comedian or maybe they're even a fan of mine, I have to get them to calm down. Like, look, I'm not going to say I'm not going to death jam you. OK, <laughs> we nobody's going to come drag you. We're not on the stage. We're just going to have fun and be silly. And you can be silly, too. You don't have to just shut up because you see me moving. You know, it's it's a lot. But also sometimes it just like makes me really shine because I'm really different than a regular average actress, I would say. I bet, I bet a lot of actors wish they were funny also. Yeah, a lot of actors think they're funny, and that's the problem. <laughs> and for, for acting and all, I know last we talked, you, you were doing some Law & Order uh, acting. Uh, do you normally do dramatic, or do you try to stick with like comedy, uh, comedic, comedic acting? Well, that was just background, so I don't even care okay. about acting. Most, I was literally the lady who walks by, but I have done more dramatic auditions as of late. Like, Obviously, I had to get a good slave girl audition in there, and... <laughs> You know, I I tried to really cry, but yeah, I'm interested in all types of things. You know, I most mostly I get booked for the comedy part, like the comedy best friend, the funny girl, the whatever coworker. That's the one that they usually want to send me out for. But they also send me out on other things like cops. I always get in the cop audition. I'm good at interrogating. <laughs> yeah, I I'll I'll do any kind of acting. We'll do it all. And do you prefer one or the other, or you don't really care? I think I love comedy acting more than anything else. That feels the most natural to me, obviously the most fun. And even like, I would say like commercial comedy is really fun to shoot. Really fun. Good energy on the set. Everybody knows we're not going to be here for like months. (laughs) We can get this commercial done quick if we make it funny. (laughs) And you said you also do some writing. Like, What kind of writing work do you do? Are you writing for shows or for movies? Oh, no, man, all types of things. Well, I just finished up a project with Netflix UK for like a campaign for Netflix. Man, I I write all types of things. Obviously, I've done a few pilots. I wrote on a series that never came out for uh, MTV. They were kind of going to revamp Guy Code um, Mm -hmm. and talk about like specifically like masculinity and issues with trying to be a tough man. But yeah, I do. I do all types of writing, but I haven't had like a regular like staff writing job. I've always been in rooms for a project or covering for somebody who was like out and they had an open spot in the room. I also was in a writer's room for Spotify and we just kind of wrote funny ideas for them to use on their social media and to introduce new music campaigns, new albums. 
ideas for like John Mayer to play his guitar in wild places, like all types of silly things. Comedy consulting. Comedy consulting. Exactly. I also write greeting cards. I do that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I do. I write, I write comedy in all types of forms monthly. It's, it's usually not ever the same. Yeah. So you, so you mentioned acting is your day job. Stand-up comedy is your night job. Where do you find time to write greeting cards and, and write on, uh, on, on writing teams and, and stuff like that? Well, if I could speak for the lady that books me on the greeting card gigs, if she hears this, she'll agree. I don't find the time. And <laughs> I am always submitting them late. It's arrogant sometimes the way I do it because I know they're going to take them because they're so good. <laughs> so, but yeah, they'll usually give me like they'll give me the images and usually they'll give me like a week to 10 days to work on them. And then around day 10 or 11, they'll be like, hey, Chanel. And then that's when I'll start. And I'll just like <laughs> I, I, I'll just like sit down and just power it out. I can do it in the afternoon if I really focus. But yeah, I, I travel a lot. So I spend a lot of time on my laptop on a train, on a bus, on a plane. And also, I'm just very disciplined. Like I can go out and party and stay until 4 a.m. And then if I have an audition at 6 a.m., you know, I'm going to get up an hour early and we're going to go over my lines and you know, get my face relaxed, get ready, very like motivated. And I always say to myself, especially when I'm tired and I don't want to stay up and do it. So whatever writing I have to do that, like, it's not that I have to do this. It's not like comedy homework. It's that I get to do it. Like I get to be stressed about having to submit these hilarious greeting cards. It could be worse. I could be pushing something that I really don't care about, but like I get to get up early and have this audition for TV. I get to be stressed about writing this hour. I get to do this type of life. You could have been like defending a murderer. I could have been like helping two people divorce (laughs) and been like, this was a good day. What kind of law were you looking to practice? Ah, man, I really thought I wanted to do like family law. I really thought, let's just do the messiest. I (laughs) I guess. But yeah, I don't know. I also wasn't totally sure yet. I was like entertainment law. And part of me thought maybe if I was just close to entertainment, maybe that would be enough because I had majored in advertising in college. I thought I would like if I could write funny commercials, which I do now all the time, but they don't ever ask me about my degree. Nobody cares. No one cares. for it. They're like, no, we sell you on Comedy Central. So get in here. But yeah, that's what that was me trying to convince myself that if maybe I got like a a comedy adjacent job, Mm -hmm. I would be able to stomach it and also like pay my bills. But no, you can only lie so much. We usually ask one last question of our guests uh, when they come on. Any words of wisdom for any aspiring comedian just starting out that you wish you would have got when you when you were starting out? Oh, man, I have a couple of words. Uh, The first is like minutes is king. You know, getting as many minutes as you can is the only way to fast forward yourself into success. It's the only way to do it. I don't care what you think, what you heard, what you read. You got to do it and you got to do it consistently. Um, And also, like, if you deal with people not believing in you, that's mostly them being afraid and don't hate them for it. Um, And also, don't be too hard on yourself. You're just trying to tell some jokes, you know, really don't forget what the literal thing is that we're doing. People can make you feel like you're living a crazy lifestyle and everything is crazy in your life and you need to go back to law school. But reality is you just want to tell public jokes. And there's nothing wrong with that. People do way worse things in the world than try to get some ha-has. <laughs> Chanel, it's been an absolute blast having you on the podcast. We really do appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. I'm glad that it worked out. Absolutely. We did it. Thanks, guys. Do you have any upcoming tour dates you want to share? Yes, absolutely. 
I'm traveling to so many places. Um, in April, I'm opening up for Brian Simpson, Philadelphia. I think it's the second week of April, April 13th. I'm headlining Helium Comedy Club in Philly. Please come out. Uh, and you can always go to ChanelAli.com to see where I'm going to be next. That's Chanel like the perfume. Ali like Muhammad. Come laugh with me. We really appreciate talking to you tonight. Yeah, thanks so a lot. Blessed. That was great. We did it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you're you're going to go see Chappelle now, huh? Yeah, so he's at the stand. I'm first. I'm gonna go to the Talib Kweli concert. Oh, nice! He's playing. He's actually playing at this uh, jazz club. So it's like a small, oh, cool space. But then I'm pretty sure that he'll go to the Chappelle show after. So yeah, it'll it'll be a long day. Sounds like an epic night. Yeah, last night we were hanging with Chappelle. It was, it was, oh yeah, yeah. Chris Rock was there. We're wild. Oh wow, we're wild kids. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Yeah. That, has be so, that has to be so huge for you, like being such like an old school fan of comedy, like hanging out with those guys. It is cool, but I'm also like desensitized to it now. Like it's not that I've done it so many times. <laughs> not to brag so much. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> I've, done, I've just done it so many, so many times. I've been smoking a blunt, and Dave Chappelle's come up to me and asked for my letter so many times. I can't. Even, I could not give you the number, and it's amazing, but also, it's a lot. They're just people, right? Just people, just a guy. Just, just another funny, another funny guy, and he's smoking. <laughs> <laughs> Is it hard not fangirling about that? Or are you really able to push it out? Yeah, I just don't I don't I mean I am a fangirl, but I just don't feel that emotion to like express. Yeah. No, I don't feel that at all. And sometimes when people do that to me, like they fangirl at me, I'm mm-hmm. like, you're weird. You're kind of, yeah. <laughs> all right, guys. All right. This All was right. so fun. Hit me up anytime you know where I'm at. I hope you guys have a good night. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Good luck with everything. Good we luck, luck with everything. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. All right. All right. Take care. Right. Bye. Nah, she's cool. Yeah, that was great. Just really casually cool. hang out with Chappelle yeah. and Chris yeah. Rockland. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. She's uh, she's very confident. I I really I really like how focused she is and like how clear. Her, her purposes, like all of that, that's, that's got to be a huge boon to her, her journey. You know? The one thing that stood out to me was uh, was the sticky note about like the individual clubs and all, because like we've heard that from a lot of different comedians in New York and all, where it's just there's so much comedy. You can get up literally like every minute of the day and all that and like not getting burnt out on it and like really focusing on the clubs that you like and the stuff you like. So I knew like there was like, oh my God, I can go up. Like I go up here, I go here and I go here kind of thing. And it's like, it's really easy to get burnt out. We hear that a lot with like comedians getting burned out because of that. So it's cool that she focused. It's 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 cool that she's strategizing like that, and that's what you got to do. You got to always be strategizing. And the uh, the manager thing too was was interesting because we haven't really talked to a lot of comedians with managers. And I thought that was interesting. Where like certain clubs was just stopped having managers in the crowds because they realize everyone performing here has a manager. So it sounded like her and her manager were kindred spirits too, because sounds like her manager is always strategizing too. So they they came together as a meeting of the minds. Gotta get that ten percent. Thank you all for listening. Make sure you like and subscribe on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you would like to support the WWSD podcast, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash WWSD underscore podcast. And, you know, I want to have a business of my own. I want to have products of my own. I just, yeah, yeah, I want the full spectrum. What they call it now is a multi-hyphenate. I'm in meetings all the time when people are talking about me and they're like, Chanel's a multi-hyphenate. And so when we're dealing in this space where we have multi-hyphen, it's creating a narrative and creatively using, you know, comedy in the way that she does. 
then we see like her multi-hyphenate, you know, reality. And so they're right. <laughs> so, so wait, wait, what did you call me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Like say it slower. 